calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Welcome to another Take 15 interview from CFA Institute. I'm Dave Larrabee and I'm joined by Rupal Vanzali, Rupal's Chief Investment Officer of International and Global Equities at Ariel Investments, where she's established herself as a leading contrarian value investor. Rupal, thanks for joining me today. Happy to be here, Dave. Uh, you began your career, your buy side career at Soros Fund Management, and of course George Soros is considered one of the great contrarian investors of our time. Are there any lessons you learned from your time there um, that you still apply today? Sure. I think I was very blessed to work with some very uh, uh, great investors, and George Soros was certainly one of them. Uh, I think the, the two things that I took away from working on the hedge fund side of the world, because now, as you know, I'm a long-only manager, is that in the alternative space, there's a lot of attention paid to downtrend protection and risk management. And I think I really learned a lot about it during my days there. Uh, and, and I think the other thing I learned, uh, and I guess you do this, and, and this is something that stayed with me forever, is you always start to think in terms of the long side of the trade and the short side of the trade. Uh, and, and to think in those two dimensions, I think, is powerful as a long-only manager. Mm -hmm. Contrarians, of course, challenge conventional wisdom. But besides being a contrarian, how do you, uh, how does you set your approach apart from other investors? I think uh, uh, there are so many variants of value investing. Uh, I would characterize myself not just as a contrarian value investor, but a intrinsic value investor. And I think that means that I pay a lot more attention to the business and the underlying qualities of that business that I'm getting, and not just the fact uh, that I might be having to pay a low price or that that stock is out of favor. So I think those two things are prerequisites you know, for value investing, that you don't pay up for a good investment, and that usually you get uh, that ability uh, to pay, get it at a discount if it's out of favor. Uh, but the real thing to keep in mind is if you're a contrarian investor, you don't want to end up in value traps or buying what I call junk at clearance prices that nobody else wants. Uh, it's about buying quality at sale prices. Mm -hmm. So how do you avoid those value traps? So again, uh, I think by being a business analyst first and foremost, as opposed to being a financial analyst, and I think a lot of people start looking at the numbers, and the numbers tend to follow what's going on in the underlying business. So if you approach the analysis of fundamental research as try to understand the business drivers, the business competitive landscape, uh, you know, the corporate governance of that business, you know, how is it being run for shareholders and for all constituents? So all of that analysis that you do at the front end, you know, leads to the financial numbers that you're going to, of course, uh, ascribe to that business, and that's what makes us different. Uh, because intrinsic value investing and contrarian value investing uh, you know, can also come up with a lot of uh, value traps, as you described. And by focusing on the quality of the business, uh, 80 to 90% of the worst of those value traps can be avoided at the front end. How do you measure intrinsic value? Well, uh, I think the simple answer is, uh, like any um, uh, fundamental investor, we do a discounted cash flow analysis. Uh, but as we all know, a DCF is only as good as the numbers you plug in. 
uh, and the numbers you plug in are really a series of assumptions that you're making about the business. You know, its growth rate, its returns, its uh, capital generation, uh, and needs for capital, etc. So I would say that uh, just like I described the attention that we pay to the business, we want to make sure that we get those drivers and economics of the business correct. And it's only when you plug in the right numbers that you get the right estimation of the intrinsic value. Mm -hmm. So once again, I go back to instead of thinking about plugging in the numbers as the be all and end all, uh, think about the range of scenarios that those numbers could uh, range. So we do things like best case scenario, worst case scenario, intrinsic values, so that we understand the boundary conditions of what could go right and wrong in the business, and therefore in the DCF intrinsic value assessments, instead of doing a point estimate intrinsic value assessment. So that's kind of how we do it differently. Mm -hmm. um, you've said choosing stability and certainty can be more risky than choosing volatility. What did you mean by that? I was hoping to be provocative because I just find a lot of people, especially in the aftermath of the great financial crisis, have become so averse to volatility. Uh, and there is such a strong desire for stability uh, that the contrarian in me could see opportunity uh, in that outcome. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, many investors in the marketplace today are overvaluing uh, stability. Uh, and it's manifesting itself in this overallocation to fixed income, which clearly is a more stable asset class compared to say, equities, which might have more volatility in the short run. Uh, but it's also manifesting itself in equity land in terms of overvaluation of consumer staple stocks, fixed income um, utility companies, you know, which are viewed to be fixed income proxies uh, in the stock market. So this overvaluation of stability uh, has led to investors swapping risk as opposed to reducing risk. And what I mean by that is, yes, they're getting something more stable, but by paying up for it, they're taking valuation risk. And risk is risk. Uh, you can call it by a different name, but any kind of risk can cause you to lose money. So I think that overvalued stability can be risky because you're taking valuation risk. On the other hand, because people don't want to own things perceived to be volatile, and you're actually being paid to take that volatility risk. In fact, when volatility is undervalued by going long volatility, you are going to make money as opposed to lose it. So in that sense, volatility can be less risky. You're an international investor, and some of the, the common risks that confront international investors include varying accounting and corporate governance standards. How do you account for these risks? So Dave, just a point of clarification. I'm a global investor, but clearly that encapsulates international as well. And I think oftentimes people think that risk is just higher overseas. There's a home country bias. And I will tell you that risk is everywhere. It's in the US, it's abroad. Uh, and our job is to figure out what those asks. And, and you know, corporate governance and accounting risks are just one segment of the kinds of risks that we look at. But since you've asked that question, let me tell you, the corporate governance risk in America can be as simple as a lot of equity stock option issuance uh, you know, that does not capture the underlying economics of the business, but it tends to be reported below the line as opposed to above the line. So that's an accounting adjustment we have to do in the US uh, on gap accounting versus non-gap accounting. Uh, in Japan, for example, uh, you can have a situation where people use more conservative accounting than the rest of the world by using double declining method of depreciation rather than the straight line. Uh, so accounting does not have to be, just because it's different does not mean it has to be aggressive. It can actually be conservative, and I just wanted to give you two extremes. Um, and the world, uh, everything in between, the good news is a lot of accounting standards around the world have converged. So in Europe, by and large, and in most geographies internationally, we have the IFRS accounting. In the U.S., we have the U.S. GAAP. But even the two accounting bodies are trying to converge them around certain core principles. So I would say it's far less of an issue today than what it used to be. 
uh, and I've done this for 25 years, so I should know. But I think um, for the most part, accounting challenges tend to be far less today than, than uh, I think uh, meets the eye. Now, corporate governance challenge, on the other hand, is still as endemic today as it used to be 20 years ago. And so one has to be vigilant about it. But just as I mentioned, like uh, you know, the accounting risks, you can have corporate governance risks in America too. Uh, and we know, uh, you know, many companies tend to be managed more for uh, management teams uh, as opposed to the shareholder interest. Uh, and sometimes uh, it tends to not take into account, you know, all constituencies. Uh, in fact, very often we find that people are managing companies for the short term as opposed to the long term. So you can have that kind of corporate governance challenge in a country like the U.S., where people are evaluated a lot on quarterly earnings announcements. You flip to international, you can actually have the opposite effect, which is there are so many companies that are family-owned. Uh, now, being family-owned does not mean automatically a reduction of corporate governance. It just means a different kind of governance. So you have to make sure that you're aligned you know, with the right kinds of corporates uh, who are managing the company for the minority shareholder status that we will often have in any investment that we make around the world. So it's just a question of being aware of it and mindful of it and uh, making sure that if it's exorbitant, then you just walk away from it like you do with any risky situation. Absolutely. Rupal, thanks for joining us today and sharing your insights. And thank you for watching. You can access our full catalog of content at cfainstitute.org. Copyright 2016 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.